You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 34 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob was kidnapped by an electrician in his library, so I don't think he's going to be making it today. But today, we've taken the podcast on the road, and we are at the Plainview Old Bethpage Library in Plainville, New York. Plainville. Plainview, New York. I always screw up in the beginning. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS, RSS feed, Apple uh, iTunes Podcasts, where you can write a review, Google Play, now on Stitcher. We finally got on Stitcher, uh, and Android, and via our email subscription service from our webpage at thelibrarypros.com. We're also on Twitter at, at thelibrarypros and on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. So today, we took the podcast out. Um, we took the board on the road, and we're visiting at Plainview Old Bethpage. And today joining us is Doug McAuliffe, technology specialist, and Megan Murphy, the local history librarian. Just local history librarian? You don't have like a cooler title than that? No, just local history. Okay. Well, that's not bad. So, welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Okay. So, we are going to speak with Doug and Megan about a preservation project that they launched at the, uh, we're just going to call it the PLB. Is that okay? That's perfect. Because it's like, you know, a really long name and... It's a lot. It's a lot. It can be a lot. Yeah. So, but first we want to learn more about Doug and Megan. So, tell us um, why you guys gravitated towards working in the library. You can go first, Doug. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I actually been an IT consultant for about 15 years and change before I started working here officially uh, and became a real boy. Um, and one of the major um, sets of clients that we had were public libraries in addition to accountants and uh, doctor's offices and stuff like that. And I just kind of ended up here. It's uh, It's really been a a great change, to be honest, because I can do a lot more and kind of focus on what's going on in one building as opposed to being scattered between a number of different places. It's nice to have one home, right? It really is. Yeah. Not driving two hours in one direction to get there and hope you make it before they close so you can fix something. <laughs> <laughs> I was more inspired. Um, my mother actually worked in a library since I was young. She works at the Jericho Public Library. So when I became college age and was really considering careers, it kind of seemed like the the right way to go. Besides the typical, oh, I love books, I love reading, which was all true, but I decided to get more serious about it and um, was able to get a page job. Uh, and I just, I loved it. So I continued with it and here I am. And it really is funny how a lot of people start working as a page, working in high school and then working their way up. Absolutely. Um, I was guilty of it. Uh, I started at the Patrick Medford Library, and then I was out of the library world for a really long time. And then because of the positive influence of my wife, I got back into the library world. Who, And she started as a page and worked her way up. So it is interesting how most people had some type of exposure as an employee, you know, in a lower level before they became librarians or, or IT people or anything like that. And it's kind of funny because thinking back, I'd actually spent a lot of time in the library in high school, and they didn't really have an IT department at this time, because it was the late 90s, so mm-hmm. you, know, you just had a computer there, and I ended up fixing it for them repeatedly, 
only to find out that I wasn't allowed to use it unless my mom actually filled out a permission slip for me. So I could get it That's running. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> you can work it, but you just can't drive it. Yeah. So yeah. I would tell net places under the premise of testing it, but that's besides the point. <laughs> well, the next question, you, um, Doug, you kind of covered it. Um, but um, so I lost my place. See, I'm looking at the script I say we don't use, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, when did you start here at, at, at the library? Um, I actually started back in July of 2011, I think, so about six and a half years. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to get a page job thanks to my old boss, Sue Victor, and our reference department manager, Sandy Silks. Um, that was really, you know, without them giving me the chance, I wouldn't be where I was today. But like what you were saying before, there's actually a lot of people in library school, they've never worked in a library. I think, you know, if you want to go into this field, you really have to get some some kind of experience. Otherwise, you kind of, you don't really know exactly what goes on in a, especially a public library. Sure. On a yeah. daily basis. Right. It was uh, really eye-opening. <laughs> Enlightening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime you work with the public, it's always uh, a roller coaster one way or the other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But it's in foil, right? And mayonnaise. <laughs> and mayonnaise. Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so tell us about um, the library and its community. You know, which hamlets does it serve? Was general population size, that kind of stuff. They're looking at each other like, yeah. uh oh, I didn't know. Do you know how many people? I, I, don't know, I know that she knows. <laughs> I'm not the smart one here. She is. Well, she's we, probably the smartest one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> we actually serve both um, Plainview and Old Beth Page, which are their own separate hamlets. Um, in Plainview, there's about twenty-eight thousand people. Old Beth Page is closer to probably five thousand. Um, so I, I think. Well, it's interesting to note that people actually get confused. Some people who aren't normally from here, they'll say, "Isn't this the Beth Page Library?" And we always have to tell them, "No, that's actually, you know, how far away? A couple miles? Uh, Fifteen minutes? Tops. Yeah. We're so, really like." right up against each other border-wise. Uh -huh. We commonly get the confusion like, oh no, I thought this was the Beth Page Library. No, it's the Plainview Old Beth Page Library. Yeah. It's, um, it's difficult too if a third party goes and brands something on some sort of web portal for you. Um, we have to triple check them to make sure that they don't just hack off the beginning of right, it. Make sure that HTML tag is, is yeah, contained. Absolutely. Yeah. That hyphen has caused so much trouble. <laughs> Oh, yeah, good old HTML tagging. you got to love it. So when I HTML tag this later, I'll make sure old Beth page with no, no dash will be its own separate tag. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got a little too geeky there yeah. for a second. Yeah, I was lost. <laughs> Not going to lie. So how long have each of you worked at the library? Um, and was this the first library you worked at? I, we kind of covered this before, but we're reading the script that we're not saying we use. So. This is the first library I've worked at um, as a page, then a librarian trainee, and then finally a librarian one. And You've been I, in like 30 different libraries, right? Yeah, around like 20 or so of yeah. the years consulting. Um, and it's a funny thing to think about because I don't really, I don't go out of my way every day to just like check them off. <laughs> to, but sometimes somebody's asked me like, well, how many buildings have you been to? And I start counting them like, that's a a lot, actually. And you've worked and, off Long Island as well. Yeah. We've, um, the company I worked for had clients in Nassau and Suffolk. 
and then uh, Putnam and Dutchess counties upstate. And the needs up there, actually, to be fair, the needs of every building and every community are slightly different at least from every other one, even if these two townships are smack up against each other. But when you get off the island and you start going north, uh, like we've been talking about before the, the uh, before we started recording, the needs are radically different. And it's, um, it's a great experience just to, um, to have some ideas to what the rest of the state and these other areas actually go through and what they... Um, what kind of planning they have to do, you know, where we may look at something and say, oh, okay, let's go six months out and figure this out and see how we can work it into the budget. They're like, well, if we can put this into, you know, a fund, we might be able to do this in two years. Right. It's a totally different animal. And that always is the dichotomy between upstate and, and five boroughs and Nassau Suffolk County Absolutely. here on the island. And by upstate, we don't necessarily mean Westchester. Yeah. Because yeah, the, up pe- the, the way upstate people, if anybody's listening to North Country... Um, yeah, it's more than just Westchester County. We understand that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people kind of look at that and they say, there's a point where you cross over the Tappan Zee Bridge and there's fog, <laughs> mentally, and that there's nothing else. It doesn't exist. You it's just drive into the rest that. of New York. Yeah. yeah, and that's not really... It's not fair to them. No, absolutely not. It, it's really a very uh, myopic sort of view of the state. I mean, it's incredibly diverse. But um, it's it's good to see. I mean, just to get that idea and to um, make you have to edit that part out while I totally no. lose my train of thought. No, that's okay. Um, Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's nice to see. Like you know, Mid Hudson is different than North Country is different than Southern Adirondack, different oh, than Finger Lakes and Pioneer and Southern Tier. They all have their own special needs, exactly, um, and they all have their own struggles. So yeah. it really is kind of. Interesting, especially when you go to a conference like NYLA, where you can see, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are and how we can all help each other. And like we were talking about before the mics are on, you know, it's, it is a good thing that we can all reach across county lines and help each other. And it's something that um, I've talked about before on the podcast. So just in terms of coming across the border into Nassau County is something that, you know, used to be something that was, you know, ooh, you're going across the border, you're crossing 110. You can actually go through past Farmingdale, and it's like this big, ooh, but now it's not as bad as it used to be. Yeah, I feel like um, until kind of recently, there was a map in each place where they had their own county, and the other side said, here be dragons. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of where it stopped. Um, But no, it's um, any sort of uh, increased cooperation, I think, would be a huge benefit to both. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And statewide as well. So Absolutely, yeah. So I know this is kind of a hokey question. The last question before we take a quick break. Do you have contact with the old Bethpage Village restoration? Not so much. Um we do store um some copies of their photographs in our local history photograph collection. So we've had people come in being interested in using those photos for whatever projects they're working on. So we would have to direct them to contact the restoration if they really wanted to get actual permission to use those photos. And um, a lot of our local history, like old buildings, have actually been moved to the restoration. So we always kind of direct people there if they want to actually visit these structures and whatnot. 
I've been on the Halloween walk. <laughs> <laughs> I went with my daughter on a school trip. It's great. It is kind of cool. It's and it, it is amazing how they've moved a whole bunch of different structures there. Right. And, you know, it just evokes, you know, a little house on the prairie whenever you walk in there. It really does. I'm a sucker for living history. So Revolutionary War battlefields, Civil War battlefields, I will just make a beeline towards them without any... I would, I would have thought that maybe they would use you as a, a resource more than, than No, that. we haven't had too much, at least since I've been um, as local history librarian, there hasn't been too much back and forth. There, you know, it's pos- uh, possible years ago. Because mm-hmm. they're a county agency, right? They're, they're part of the county? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, well, it was worth a shot, right? <laughs> okay, so thanks for telling us about, about the library and the community. Uh, and we have a lot to talk about. So the first segment's kind of short, but we have a lot to talk about in the second segment. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we were going to talk about this great project you guys are working on. So we'll be back, we'll be back in a moment. And now we go... Okay, we're back with Doug McAuliffe and Megan Murphy from the Plainview Old Bethpage Library. So you've both been involved in a fairly large preservation project that started with uh, some old audio cassettes and VHS recordings. Can you tell us about the project and what these initial materials were about? And, you know, how did you digitize them? And, you know, special hardware scanners, all the good geeky stuff, too. Megan is giving a look. If you can practically hear it. Um, I guess I'll start. Um, what uh, what happened last year was we um, we had been moving the reference office and all of the public facilities away um, from their original home just to um, give space for a construction project of that basically encompassed all of our public area and uh, the reference office for the adult side of the building. In the process of doing that, Megan, who is incredibly diligent, went through and looked, you don't have to shake your head, you are. Um, (laughs) Went through and found the VHS and audio cassettes that had been just in storage boxes for eons. The oldest tape, I think, had had a date on it from, what, 1983? something like that. That was the firehouse one. Close. And we started talking about how we can preserve these. And we looked into a couple of um, offsite options where we could have somebody digitize it and send us the file back. And all of those seemed kind of unnecessary and prohibitively expensive. So we did a little research and we found a video capture device and honestly, a couple of hard drives. Thankfully, we had a a, um, VHS player that was still functioning and um, 
because we have two of them floating around. We had no idea if they worked, but we said, why not? We'll give it a try and see what happens. Um, we actually picked up an Elgato uh, capture, um, VHS capture device. So that just plugs in from the, the VHS player over USB to the computer, mm-hmm. rips the VHS to MP4, and dumps it on one of the on a five terabyte hard drive. And when um, we shut down at night, the computer actually takes the um, just with a simple batch file, takes all of the files that are in that directory and pushes them to an external five terabyte drive. We went a little bit over on size because, frankly, we weren't sure how many video cap- videotapes we had would be duplicates or how much material was on them. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know what, if we go too large, it's not going to be a problem and only a slight increase in expense versus going too small and having to panic and figure out a way to, to jive with these files to move them around. So overall... Um, and I do want to mention this was actually funded by our friends of the library group. Uh, That's great. Yeah, they were very generous. Uh, they always are, and it's um, it was really fabulous. We came in just around five hundred dollars for everything, um, so that was a big help. the uh, The audio tapes were actually just using a little twenty dollars device we got from uh, Amazon, where you pop the audio tape in, you hit record, and Audacity just rips it to MP3. That really is a cool product. It is. It's really small and... Do you know the name of it? I have to check. It actually might not have a proper name. Um, it seems to come f- from some mysterious place that Amazon has access to, a Narnia-like warehouse where they reach in and <laughs> deliver electronics to you. But um, what, um, what we wanted to do with this was make it feasible for um, anybody that was going to be interacting with the equipment to just kind of do a fire and forget routine mm-hmm. because we we don't really nobody really has the um the extra staff time to have someone sit there and babysit this for four or six hours yeah. in a clip it's really like a project in a lot of different phases yeah. first we wanted to convert first the vhs make sure that was all working properly and we have a little issues we're trying to work out um yeah. Then the audio, the audio cassette tapes we wanted to convert. While we were doing that, we wanted to work on um, copyright, getting copyright clearance and posting that online. Um, all in the, like, in addition to this, we had POB memories, which was an ongoing project we wanted to start. And then we had ideas for like a more long-term use of all these materials um, which we may be asked about later. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> so the digitization process, right? Mm-hmm. Just in continuing a little bit with that thought. Um, is it something that you have to sit and watch the video the whole way through so you can break up if there's like four or five different programs on one tape? or? Um. All of the tapes luckily had only the one program that was written on the label. Mm -hmm. But um, as we've discovered as of late, we really should have sat and watched through the entire thing because we've noticed that in some of them, the audio and the video becomes out of sync with a um, a thank you message to the friends of the library that we place in the beginning of each video. Yes, some of the... Uh, some of the videos, once we imported them into uh, VSCD to edit them and add that little bumper at the beginning, um, I 
I'd say probably two or three that we found so far had a little bit of audio leg afterwards, but we were talking about iMovie Mm -hmm. as an alternative. And I think that's going to be the next thing that we give a shot to just see if we can just drop that in there at the beginning. Yeah, because from what I've, you know, experienced with iMovie doing, you know, various things, you know, with my kids and and presentations and things, um, it doesn't lose any, um, you don't lose that sync. And uh, you can do transitions very easily and, and that kind of thing, too. So maybe something, something to check out. No one can actually hear me nodding vigorously on the other <laughs> side of this microphone. <laughs> okay, so how much material did you actually have? I mean, you showed me some cabinets downstairs, and I know that when I did my family's videos, it took a long time. It was only three cassettes, three of those, you know, 60-minute cassettes that you put on at really slow speed so you can get more tape time out of them. We had, I believe it was 56 VHS tapes. And then after we went through and took out the duplicates, I think it was either 43 or 44 completed ones. Mm-hmm. And with the um, cassette tapes, we had, I think, 72. So I don't believe there are many duplicates of those, but that'll be another um, very time consuming process. Cause Converting the VHS tapes, as you probably know when you did your family's videos, it has to go in real time. There's no way to speed it up. Right. So it's timely. Yeah, it is. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I can imagine. And with all the material that you have, it's, it's a full-time job just to take care of that. That was one of the reasons why we wanted to get it, so that we could just basically turn it on and whatever we needed to do. Uh, we... In quotes, the royal we. Megan actually does the heavy lifting. She's with that. the we. You're just a tech guy, right? I, yeah, I, <laughs> that's right. I, I, I'm just that that shadow that's crawling around, like <laughs> you know, looking over the cables, like, oh yes, it's connected, and then I scoot away. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> so let's talk about copyright because I find it kind of interesting that you have to worry about copyright with stuff that's produced locally for public use, public access, that kind of thing. So can you just walk us through that a little bit? Well, with these materials, um, well, first, I just want to say I'm not a copyright expert. Um, I always have to look things up also. Um, but with, like, the videos, if we know, if if there was a note on the video of where it came from or who donated it, who shot it, we always would go right to that. Um, in the case of videos where we're not too sure, like we were talking earlier about the, the fire department video, it was, you know, shot here the um, three past fire chiefs were interviewed by a librarian, by one of our librarians, but we don't know who was actually filming it or who wanted it filmed. So as our director, Gretchen Brown, said when we you know, were talking about copyright, she said transparency is key. If you're not sure, just go to them for the permission, you know, what's the worst that can happen. Same with the audio. Once we get to audio, that might be a little more difficult the interviews that were done in the 80s, some people may not, you know, still be alive. So, you know, we'd have to contact family if we could. Right. So that might be right. a little more difficult. Now, do you get them to sign anything? Or? Yes. Um, I had drawn up a very rough um, kind of copyright form, brought it into the director. You know, she looked it over, made any corrections, and then she forwarded it to... Um, the library's lawyers to go over and just kind of make sure everything sounded good, you know, for the library and everything. And they approved that, right? Yes, they did. It's a good thing, too. Yeah. Otherwise, this would have been a really short uh, project. Oh, yeah. yeah, It would have been terrible, actually. We, um, at this point, I think um, most of 
the time-consuming stuff, aside from the audio tapes, is going to be waiting for people to cut, uh, to get those documents back to us because um, there are things we need to do that we're going to be addressing <laughs> right after this, um, <laughs> as I look down the non-existent script. Um, <laughs> but um, actually, while I'm thinking about this, um, would it be handy for us to get a copy of that copyright form? for you guys sure we can make it part of the show notes absolutely yeah sure. yeah i think that would be really good because okay. you did great you did a great job on that so and then we can you know for other people who are thinking about doing something like this i think it would be a good resource for them absolutely it's a, it could be a great template to look at and say all right i may have to adjust this a little bit but at least i've got a good starting point that it somebody's lawyer liked yeah sure if somebody's lawyer liked it yeah. yeah so and it's and it's been working so far so yeah um have there any been have, have there any been? Have there been any? <laughs> gotta love it, right? Have there been any circumstances where you were um, making a copy of something that was produced not by somebody local, but like let's say by a production company or, or something like that? We actually do have um, one video in particular. Are you thinking of the It's Academic video? I am. Yes. Um, it was actually Doug who did some more digging into that. Um, it was, what was it? It was connected to NBC. It was like sponsored by NBC or put on it by NBC, but it, the production company was, it's called It's Academic. Yeah. And they, um, they do like a high school quiz show where they'll get um, a different a group of uh, students from three relatively local high schools in one given area. And they'll do like a little TV production and one of them wins a trophy for their school, one of the teams. So we had one that was from like... What was the it like? 70s. Yeah, it was the early 70s. And there's a, a great um, double mint gum commercial right in the middle of that, <laughs> which <laughs> was really the highlight for me. So I'm looking at this, going, that's that's... Fabulous. Um, it wasn't the one where they were picking it off a tree, was it? No. It was it, at a pool, I think. Yeah. They were like flashing the uh, the silver wrapper at the camera <laughs> repeatedly and causing it to white out, which was just... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really trippy. So we um, we saw that and then the rest of the actual TV show. And <laughs> in the process of this, we said, well, maybe it's NBC or maybe it's not. Maybe they just aired it. TV 55 or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, And I had never heard of It's Academic as a show in the past or current. Yeah, neither had I. Uh, those are just the ghosts. It's fine. <laughs> the building's only slightly haunted. Well, it's, it's good to say that problem. you're not the only building with ghosts. Yeah. yeah. We've all got them. Yeah. No. Who was she oh. looking for? One of the other custodians, I think. Well, actually, oh, okay. the other custodian who was just in here. But that was a while ago. Was it just? No, it was a, yeah, it was a while ago. I think she just locked us in. That's possible. Oh, no. Well, there's the emergency exit is for <laughs> emergencies. Or just outright panic. It works for that, too. Um, so we started... <laughs> Don't you love it? <laughs> so... Um, we started looking into this, and we found out that they're actually their own production company. Wow. And, and they're I still think around? It's, it's, yeah. I think it said it was current, too. They're listed on IMDb. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you were able to get a hold of them? We haven't sent it over to them yet. Um, what we're going to do is the copyright's gone out, I think, to the firehouse. So far, the firehouse. 
and then we noticed the issue with the video and the syncing. So we figured before we start sending all of them out, in case these places say, oh, I'd like to see the video, we don't want to send them a right a, yeah. a less video. than perfect yeah. quality. Yeah, because yeah. the town basically said, well, you're archiving the ones that we've made. That's fine. They seem to not care when we initially contacted them. We're still going to send them the form to make sure that everything is uh, T's crossed and I's dotted before we post them. Um, but isn't this a lot like um, acceptable use? Because you're not deriving a profit from it. You're not selling it. That's you're true, but it's better to be safe than being exactly. slapped with a lawsuit. That's <laughs> or, true. Or yeah. the three strikes DMCA YouTube takedown notices where they oh, lock yeah. the account out because... That's also true. Yeah. That's true. That's right. Because that, that's another layer to this. That we'll, we'll get to a little bit later about actually posting it online and, and dealing with the YouTube bots that, mm-hmm. that look for all the, uh, the copyright stuff. Absolutely. See, I think that's a bigger concern than actually getting permission from the actual owners, original owners of the content. Well, that's one of the things we're hoping to tackle with this is to get to that point and put up a copyright notice on there that says that it's owned by and used with permission from these entities. So hopefully that will stave off the ravening hordes and uh, <laughs> we won't have an account that's up for you know five days and then immediately shut down <laughs> under... Tar- horrible circumstances. <laughs> Gotta love the cease and desist, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So where are you archiving all this stuff? It has to take up tons of memory. You know, it, I, I know that we're gonna, it, part of it is YouTube, but you have to put it someplace before you get it to YouTube. So what we did is we stored the actual files, um, the original rips, if you will, on a, an internal 5-terabyte hard drive, which is mirrored to an external 5-terabyte hard drive. Um, we've also taken the liberty of um, putting, and I think we're still in the process of doing this, putting the um, the files onto actual DVDs in case a patron wants to watch them in-house. Mm-hmm. So we'll have the physical media here as well. And the last step is, well, actually second to last step, one of them goes to our cloud backup service. Um, but the last step will be to put them on YouTube and uh, link those from the website so that they're accessible to anybody, anywhere, anywhere which is, um, you know, again, that's that's the copyright thing right there. You know, I don't know, and I don't think anybody does know without asking them if some of the people that own this material particularly care if mm-hmm. this is on the Internet forever or, you know, a TV show from 40 years ago. Is that really a concern? Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not sure how long those those rights go back because I'm not a lawyer. So... Yeah, that was the sort of thing that we had talked about and said, no. Well, I could just envision, like with that one production company from that mm-hmm. game show from the 70s where they get back to you and say, that's the missing tape that we were looking for. And no, you can't, and you can buy a license now. And then they really kind of put a kibosh on it. And that's something that I'd rather have them do off to the side as opposed to making it a big spectacle sort of thing. Right. Because it just looks bad for us if we just go posting things as other people would see it, not knowing... Our- our decision-making process, they would see this as us just you know, randomly throwing content up on YouTube and saying, well, fair use, deal with it. Right. Um, we'd rather make sure everybody's content with what we're doing and understands that we're trying to do this the right way. Right, and you will embed the videos. if Once you get permission, you'll embed the videos on a site. Like I, I guess on your website you'll have a separate site for local history? We're definitely, well, we actually have the channel already. It's a a uh, POB local history channel mm-hmm. on YouTube and that we're probably going to link off the site and um, 
there have been some discussion back and forth about whether or not we were going to embed the videos or if we were going to just put a link to that and let that go. Mm-hmm. But um, there are some design elements that I'm not, um, I haven't really settled on where I would like them to go. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not my decision anyway. So whatever information <laughs> I could give someone about that um, is uh, is kind of limited right now because um, the framework we use for our site is Joomla and it looks really good for most things. Um, I'm not sure if we would be able to put those into like a list form and have them, you know, just kind of going from oldest to newest or alphabetical or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I could envision that or, it had, you know, if you had embedded video on a page, it's going to take a long time, for, so not a long time to load, but it's going to be a little messy. Exactly. And we want to keep things, um, especially with the mobile version of the site, although YouTube, of course, is going to be fine on pretty much any relatively modern mobile device but we want to keep it as accessible as possible so that's why we might just do like a local history link and here's the local history youtube channel and you go there and just fires up youtube for you right so that was very well said doug (laughs) thank you that's not normal for me actually so i'm going to go off script for a second and say how long do you think this is going to take assuming you get permission from every single person and entity that you have Oh, Megan is making scary face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To be fair, we have the videos pretty much ready to go with a few exceptions. So I think once we got back the copyright letters from everyone, assuming we got thumbs up across the board and there were no questions in between, um, ideally probably within a couple of days to a week of being given a a go-ahead. And that's if everybody sent their letters back at once. Because right now the videos are already in MP4 format. Right. Well, so How many videos were there? Like there were video cassettes. Oh, video cassette, audio cassettes. No, no video. The v- VHS. Oh, the VHS. Um, after we took out all the duplicates, there was either forty-three or forty-four of them. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of material. Yeah. That's so just, it's not going to take that long to do. I think just sitting there and watching them it would take a long time. Well, if we're going to go back through, I mean, we've already checked them once I think to make sure that they were okay so at this point it's just uploading them to YouTube and we're pretty much good to go wow so most of the heavy lifting is actually done already yep I'm, I'm pointing at Megan for, for the audience she, she did the, well, the lion's con- share of that converting them I, th- I don't think took too long maybe a month and a half to two months because yeah. it was just a matter of putting the video in um, clicking whichever settings mm-hmm. that Doug had kind of told me, do this, do this, do this. <laughs> we had bullet points. It was yeah. easier for both of us. Had to <laughs> write out all the instructions and everything. Um, and then just pressing record and put another tape in. But, you know, between other other duties, desk time and being away from the room, not wanting it to go on recording for like three hours of nothing, maybe two videos a day, if that. It was mm-hmm. usually at least one video day. With the audio, I'm not really sure because we can't just look over across the room at the screen and see if the video is still going. That's a matter of, I guess, yeah. plugging in your headphones and see if you still hear it. it. It's that. It's a little more touchy, like you were saying, because um, the, the audio tapes are like 90-minute tapes per side. So it requires a little bit more back and forth. So if somebody's at the desk for two hours it's difficult to just say, okay, well, um, I'm going to get up half an hour early and spend 10 minutes fiddling with this thing before I come back, right. especially if they're by themselves. Sure. So it's something that's going to take us a little bit more time. 
Um, you also have to pre-listen to make sure there's nothing, you know, foul language or foul content. Or, right. Yeah. And also that the, um, the tapes themselves are still viable. Yeah, that's true, too. That was one of the things. Some of these tapes were recorded and put into just regular cassette boxes and dropped into an archive box. I'm actually having this vision of um, the tape actually flipping upside down and everything is like playing backwards. That's entirely possible. <laughs> or I got st- at one point it got stuck in one of the heads and now it's all wrinkled and crinkly. Yeah, yeah. it's entirely possible. I mean, we <laughs> don't know what we're going to get on half of these. And that's, to me... Uh, maybe I'm sick, but that's some of the fun of it is to look through here and see, like, are these functional? Or are we going to have to do something crazy to get them to work? Um, oh, get your pencil out. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember Scrolling how to and, oh, God, rewind yeah. that. Absolutely. Oh, my rewind doesn't work on my cassette player anymore, so now i got to get the tape, get the pencil and spin it. I'm going <laughs> to raise money for the library by doing that on a Twitch stream. <laughs> I wonder what the Guinness Book of World Record is for that. How many hours spinning cassettes? Oh. I don't want it to be me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else can have that one. That's Just the fact that we're talking about audio cassettes yeah. is, is so cool. It really is. And As we I, sit here and record on an iPad, you exactly. know, thinking about what happens if you know I was doing this with a cassette player and, oh, guys, we only have like another 30 feet of tape left and we have to pause and, and flip it over. Exactly. And there's, there's a laser-based projector sitting over us. On the other side. It mm-hmm. shoots lasers at the screen. That's how you see movies here. Um, meanwhile, this magnetic reel tape. <laughs> <laughs> that really is crazy. So let me ask you this. Since the technology seems to be working, have you considered making it available for the public for not necessarily making another version, you know, another copy of Top Gun, but for doing kind of like what I did with my family and, and digitizing those old VHS cassettes because we all know they have a shelf life. And, you know, if it's too close to one of those old TVs, you know, it could diminish the the magneti- magnetism on the tapes. That's that, – sorry. That no? was actually one of um, our top ideas for long-term use of all, you know, the equipment, the software that we have is actually having uh, – giving patrons the availability to kind of – book some time to come in and convert if they have old movies or anything on cassette that they would like converted. But that also raises the question of copyright. Again, we can't be held responsible. We can't sit there and police what they're doing. So there's just always copyright is connected to it. I'm just, as we're talking this, another, showing my age, I guess, thinking of, you know, oh, wow, I'd really like to take this mixtape that I made <laughs> and, you know, make a copy of it. And that could run into a problem. Absolutely. Because, you know, Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam is going to want a piece of that recording. Yeah. And that's one of the things that when, um, and again, that was actually Megan's idea to make that available afterwards. She doesn't take credit for the good stuff that she does, which she should. Um, but <laughs> she's shaking her head. She's better taking compliments as I am. So there you go. Um, one of the things that we had discussed was how are we going to set up rules to say what people can convert and what they can't. Um, because to be perfectly frank, I don't think anyone wants to have to check to make sure someone's honeymoon video actually made it over. The wedding video is okay. Um, the honeymoon video. Yeah, Uh-oh. exactly. That's, Uh-oh, that's, somebody that's, had a tripod. Yeah, that, that's, not, that's not really where we want to go with this. And... <laughs> You know, we, um, 
<clears throat> we have to have some sort of um, a clear definition in advance that gives us leeway in case somebody brings something that's really not appropriate. Um, just just so the staff members, you know, don't necessarily have to engage with it. We can just say, all right, look, we turn this on. You need to take this to a private place to have this done because we're not doing this for you. Like you said, Top Gun, you know, we don't really want to be the ripping factory that lets you turn this into an MP4. Right. And where did you do this? Oh, we went to the library. That's not exactly the kind of press we want. Right. Um, and the MPAA is like a pack of savage dogs. And, um, you know, that, that's not the kind of engagement we want. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking in terms of over at Sachem, and this is where Bob would roll his eyes because I mentioned my library, because um, <laughs> he constantly breaks my chops. Uh, we have um, a VHS to DVD converter. And what's nice is if somebody does pop in their version of Top Gun, which is an actual, you know, released version, it's encoded and it won't make the copy. Oh, that's excellent. But if somebody made a copy and then mm -hmm. did a copy of a copy, why anyone would want a VHS quality video of anything at this point is beyond me, unless they're like really like a, like a movie file or something. Um, but at least in there, there's like an encoding thing that um that blocks it from actually making the copy but this is going this is taking out the dvd middleman right. per se and going straight from vhs to digital yeah so i can imagine that this would be really great for you know those home movies and that's one of the things that we were looking at is someone comes in and says hey you know i have my wedding video from 1985 and we have one copy of it it's on VHS and we're moving we don't want to lose it we'd like to be able to keep it forever and post it on YouTube or send it to uh, you know post it on Facebook and send it to our friends can you do that and say yes that's no problem we can pop it right in here and here's a flash drive with your mp4 enjoy it here's your videotape back you're good right but it's finding that that comfortable spot where the staff doesn't have to feel like they're bullying somebody for bringing something in sure. so we can kind of use those rules as a as a shield to a degree to say look we're not allowed to do xyz this is why but it's really um hopefully when um we get all of that set up and we're we're uh, ready to put that out for the public um it gets some some heavy use because i'm sure there are people that have those kind of videotapes around that want to preserve them but don't necessarily want to drop them off at some random place that may or may not from their point of view give them the videotape back. Well, I'm even thinking in terms of social media if mm -hmm. you put it out there because you know being in a library you have to kind of look at the the mom's page for the yep. district that you work in and you see I see it at least once every two months I have VHS cassettes I like to home movies I like to convert to DVD or convert to digital does anybody know any place and of course I'm right you can go to the Sage and Public Library. They have a blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, it's like, no, but this place, it does it. And it's blah, blah, blah. So whatever. I, I just put my two cents in and I walk away. But um, I can imagine that if you did a social media push for this, your initial demand is going to be really high. Yeah, which would be great because, you know, it, it's not just about getting people in the door. We'd like them to actually be able to use these services and enjoy them and get something good out of it. And it's kind of part of what how libraries are transitioning into know making making makerspace kind of things and a lot of stuff that you can do in a makerspace aren't necessarily the 3d printer the engraver or any mm -hmm. of that you know any of that stuff it's just about making it's just about creating 
we're preserving and you know there's so many different aspects to that and this is a really could be a really big part of it for you guys it could be a springboard for you well you're right uh doug actually had um an idea to go further with it eventually creating what'd you call it some kind of studio oh we were looking at the one button studio setup that penn state had but i know we were talking about this before we started recording you guys have an even better one uh Oh. You've set up. Yeah, we have some stuff. The, some stuff. Everybody who listens to this podcast is sick of hearing me talk. About it, so. <laughs> but, you know, the concept is take something and make it out there for the public to use. And, you know, you can put any kind of label, moniker, you know, branding that you want on it. But the idea is to get the people in because we provide stuff basically for free. Yeah. If you bring in your own DVD, we provide the DVDs and we charge them like, 50 cents or some some nominal fee so they could actually you know do this do the the conversion themselves and it makes a lot of sense i mean and and i've talked about this at nauseum too you know once you take profit margin away from an endeavor that Mm -hmm. you're doing you can be so much kinder and share so many more resources and that's what public libraries do yeah like if you wanted to you could probably charge 20 dollars a cassette and people would come here with 20 dollars and give you 20 dollars to to do that cassette but that's not what we're here for. We're here to help. We're here to, we'll help anybody. Exactly. And that's what the beauty of libraries is. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They lose sight of the, the idea that we're here to help. And there's no ulterior motive. There's no, you know, you walk into Best Buy, you're going to buy that TV. Not thinking that, you know, Best Buy is probably making 30% on that TV. So the, when you take that end out of it, and the fact that, you know, we're general, librarians are, pretty nice people you you don't go into this being a miserable you know jerk you may end up being that way later (laughs) on in life but we don't go into it you know to purposely be a jerk i think that actually surprises a lot of people they don't expect that level of altruism when they go out it's true a lot of people even um amongst those they're close to tend to see everything in black and white profit margins and stuff like that and it's it's surprising when somebody comes in, they say, oh, I need to scan this. How much does it cost? And I say, well, it, it doesn't. Our reference desk has these little portable scanners. You just hand them your, your library card or your driver's license, and they'll take you over there, and they'll show you how to do it and scan your document for you. And then you can send it. And there's a, there's a moment of disconnect where their brain's processing this. It's like that quarter second, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're looking at this, and the brain's like, no, no. Wait, this is free? The, there's a she, trap. He, he, he said the, the free word. Yeah. Seriously? You can pretty much see Admiral Akbar in a thought bubble. It's a trap. That. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's going on. And they go, oh, that's great. Thank you. Do you need a notary? Well, yeah, the notary is on staff. We can ask them to come out. It's not a big deal. And they come out and they get their stuff notarized. That happened. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite is um, somebody will come in and say, you know, there are a lot of patrons that have been coming in lately that got smartphones for the first time. And flip phones just are not being sold. So guess what you get? You have an Android now. You get Enjoy pushed that. into it almost. Yeah. yeah. So they hand this to me and they're like, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to check email. They said I can do that. I don't know how to make a phone call. They said I can do that. And we'll sit with them, uh, Mrs. Victor or myself, and we'll go over all this stuff with them because that's what we're here for. Isn't it fun? It actually, it secretly is. I don't know why they pay me. I'd probably show up anyway. Shh. Yeah. 
Don't let the secret out. Yeah. Yeah. But I know what you mean. She's going to hear this, isn't she? (laughs) 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 Well, one of my favorite stories about that is um, when I was working at Longwood years ago, there were these two older gentlemen who both fought in World War II. They were both on bombers Mm -hmm. that bombed in Europe. And, you know, they weren't pilots. They were like tail gunners or whatever. And they didn't serve together, but they got together, you know, through like an association or something. And they both came in with sealed iPads. And they both came in, our grandkids bought these things for us. We don't know what to do with them. And by the end of the session, they were watching YouTube videos about B-17s in World War II. Amazing. And then the next time they came in, we did another baby step and another baby step. So that, you know, if you talk about making a highlight reel of my career, that's one of the big ones. Yeah. Because I took somebody who said, what is this uh, confounded machine? Uh, you know, like a Bugs Bunny kind of thing coming Absolutely. in. And then walking out looking at their iPads and trying not to trip because they're watching these videos. Wait, how'd you get this? How'd you do that? What'd you type in? B-17? B-17? I was in a B-17. Wait. B- hey, wait. That's this. And, and they get excited. And next thing you know, because there's no mouse and keyboard that's an, an impediment to actually doing what they're mm-hmm. doing. It's just their finger. They're actually intuitively pressing the next thing, pressing yep. the play button. And when you get that lack of engagement all the way through to total engagement and total immersion, that's, that, that's a good feeling when, really when you a- actually bring that to somebody. Yeah. And, you know, somebody may hear that and say, oh, well, that's great. They're watching videos on YouTube. Fabulous. But that's the first step in actually becoming comfortable with using these devices. And I hate to say it, that's the gateway to modern life at this point. You have to be able to engage with these things because more and more places are simply saying, well, talk to the touchscreen. It's the new TV. It is. What TV did to radio in the 50s, Mm -hmm. this is now doing to TV. And it's more interactive. Megan's giving us this look like... I'm still here, by the way. She's wondering, she's like, has he got to talk about wanting to get an implant in his brain so he can just plug into the computer? It's like she's watching a a tennis match. (laughs) I would very, very happily go full 80s cyberpunk and just have the wires coming out of my head. Oh, I love it. Okay, so uh, I think we're going to move on because Megan's going to beat us both in a minute. Um, So tell us about the POV Memories Project and how it works with the technology and how you're going to keep moving that forward. Well, the idea came from, um, well, actually, our audio cassette tapes that we found in the basement were actually um, from a project that the high uh, high school kids did in the 80s where they would have students interview residents just about their lives in plain view, Old Beth Page. So, you know, and we didn't listen to many of them yet. We just could read the labels and we knew about this, um, the high school program from the 80s. So we figured, you know, this would probably be a great thing to jump off and continue with. And we, um, we started looking around at the equipment that we had available already. And part of what we purchased with that $500 was actually um, a light that we can attach to one of our laptops with a built-in webcam and a directional microphone that we got. Um, Again, this is first step stuff, so we need to see um, how many people are actually going to volunteer for this, who's really interested in the community to come out, because some communities you may have a huge call for this and other ones not so much. If we're in the latter group, which I hope we're not, but if we are, I'd rather not spend $500 
hundreds or thousands of dollars on recording equipment to have two people show up and then not have anyone for eight or ten months before we finally decide, all right, uh, there's clearly no demand for this, let's move on. So the initial idea was between the, the lighting and the microphone, it gives us some flexibility. If someone's not comfortable being on camera, we can just go strictly with audio and that'll be fine. If they want to do an actual video interview, then we have the capacity to do that for them. Now, I'm just thinking in terms of um, if someone didn't want to do a video component and they only had the audio, you could almost do a Ken Burns kind of thing, going through your archive. Let's say it's somebody, I know that the Grumman facility is probably not in this district. I but think they're in Bethpage. They're in Bethpage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. But like, let's say you partnered with Bethpage and, and you had people who worked there who worked, worked on the Lunar Lander or worked on F4Fs during World War II or, you know, something like that. And instead of having a pic, you know, their video, you're putting up video or pictures of what they're working on. Kind of Ken Burns-y like, right? Which is exactly what we've been talking about, actually. And which you is do, really... probably do that with iMovie, too. That's a good point. Yeah. That's so a great point, actually. It's, it's actually, and Megan's looking at me like, you're giving me more to do. <laughs> what are you doing? Shut up. <laughs> well, no, that, that was actually another idea. Uh, Doug and I sat into this videography webinar mm-hmm. uh, early October or something. So. Um, and, he, the, he, you know, the presenter was just speaking about all these different components that can go into it. And, you know, he was talking about video editing or offering those classes or service to your patrons. And we kind of just looked at each other and said, we could definitely see people asking, like, oh, I want to create whether a montage or a music video mm-hmm. if it's from the high, you know, kids from the high school. So that's another thing we have to think about software wise, staff wise, equipment wise. Absolutely. And it's in space is another issue like the walls that we have up for our quiet study rooms, which are fabulous, are not good at sound dampening. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, I know it's hard to uh, it's hard to picture without actually seeing the space itself, but um, there's a fairly large, I'd say probably about a 12 or f- so foot room between where I sit in my office and technology department and the uh, one of our larger meeting rooms, meeting room E. And those are all genius walls in between. And they're very good for what they do. But we actually happen to host a group of fencers who come, um, I'd say, probably two to three times a week in the mornings. And they're the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. They're fabulous. Um, The youngest of them, I think, is in his late 80s. And these guys are in full fencing regalia, jumping back and forth, buckling swash for an hour and change. And you hear every sword strike. Wow. Even with the door closed. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's great because, to be fair, they're in better shape than I am. And um, <laughs> they're just jumping around back and forth, and they're practicing, and they're, they're doing their thing. But those rooms are not conducive to recording audio. So it's something that we need to, like, carve out a little niche for a studio if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, even something informal where we can kind of lock it off and close the doors and make sure things are relatively quiet, minimal amount of background noise or people wandering in. Um, (laughs) And, you know, create this so whoever's down there has the privacy they need to do their work and also can get a nice clean sample and then edit it in whatever way they need to. That makes sense. 
So it's it's a little bit difficult on the first floor because we're so busy. But at the same time, you know, if we do redo the uh, the lower, like the basement area, um, it's a 1960s era bomb shelter style of cinder block. So you close the door and there's nothing, which is really creepy in the in the boiler room. It's really <laughs> really creepy. So that kind of is a good segue into my last question for this segment. You know, talking about you know this is a great pitch. Not that you need it to throw a pitch at Gretchen. She seems like she's really intra- interested in, in into mm-hmm. possibly developing a makerspace kind of environment here. Um, so talking about if you could, I'm going to kind of kind of modify the last question a little bit. If you could uh, find a spot, do, would you have a particular spot you'd want to put that kind of stuff in? Whether, whether it's 3D printing or, or sound recording or even if it's, you know, playing with little bits or, or anything like that. I mean, other than a community room kind of situation. Ooh. Yeah. Um, it's a hard question. It, it is because there are there are parts of the building I think it would be good in, but I'm not sure that without, um, let's say, some really flexible architecture, we could actually locate it. Um, our staff really tries to be efficient and they use like every inch of the building wherever they can. I think that's um, every library uh, though too. It really is. Yeah. And um, I mean, I would like to see certain parts of that in our family center, which is our, uh, our children's and teens wing of the building. Um, some of those would get a lot of use there, I think. Uh, certain other parts I think would probably work better in the adult reference area, which um, again, depending on the intention of what we have there, I think the video equipment and whatnot, it would probably be something that you'd have teens coming over, middle school uh, age people coming over for as well. So that's that's tough to put that in a teens and children's area when you know there are definitely going to be adults using it as well. So that's always wise, the challenge, you know, having age appropriate things at different times in different places. Exactly. So at least to my mind, and I know there are wiser people than than I to. Uh, to think about this I would say it's that sort of stuff is probably better close to the adult area so this way if that traffic comes over from family center you don't have adults kind of like wandering in there and then saying well I'm lost I'm trying to find you know the video recording studio that happens to be located in the lower level down there so I have to go through the entire area where um, our adult department at least is very open Mm -hmm. so that's something that if we we carved out a little area maybe right next to the reference office that would be a possibility but that goes into uh you know how much money do you have and, and how much space can you create exactly. inside your uh, your building which is always a challenge absolutely and it's a challenge for everybody absolutely yeah okay so i think you guys did a great job and i want to thank you for allowing us to come and talk to you us meaning me because bob is kidnapped by his electrician over at emma clark um, so it looks like you have a really great project and it looks like, you know, the project's only going to go skyrocket from there. I think you're going to a lot of patron involvement in the future too. So what we're going to do is take a quick break and we are going to then, uh, do our third segment, which is our 032 top 10, uh, library questions. So it's the, the 032 list is, uh, the number for Dewey numbers. Uh, for top 10 lists, and we always have to give credit to my friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list. 
Uh, and it's the list that we ask all our guests. So we will be back in just a moment. Take a little break. I cheated and looked up some of these beforehand. That's fine. Only one. There's no problem. There's no cheating. <laughs> it's research. It's the library. It's fine. I wrote this myself. There's no cheating. This isn't like I got this from like a book or something. It's okay. I'm like, how many fictional librarians are there? Oh, I remember her. <laughs> <laughs> and we get some really cool que- answers to that question. And, it, <laughs> and it's a ten top ten quest, but it's really eleven questions. Yes. Yeah. That was that's that's what got me when I read it the first time. Like, oh wait. It's a bonus question. Like we took one and we had like an A to it. I'm like, you know what? It's not trying to mask it. It's really a lot of questions. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Thank you. It's fun, right? It is. It is. Okay, ready? Okay, we are back with Doug McAuliffe and Megan Murphy from the Plainview Old Bethpage Library. And they are our next victims. Did I say victims? I meant participants in the 032 list. Volunteers. Exactly. (laughs) So the questions in our list are inspired by the website Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. And check them out because they do a great job educating and informing the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. Question number one, as we actually disclosing there's 11 questions in the top 10 list. (laughs) What did you want to be when you were a child? I think the real question is what didn't I want to be when I was a child? Um, It always changed, but I think I went back to veterinarian a lot. So as you can see, clearly I stayed on the right path and now I'm a librarian. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what about you, Doug? Astronaut. Straight and simple, right? Yep. <laughs> Straight to the I'm point. I'm boring. Okay, so what's your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for, for, for the first time? Um, it was probably my mom who brought me. As I said earlier, she worked at, has always worked in a library, and my earliest memory was going to story time at Jericho Public Library. <laughs> And their story time room has not changed. <laughs> That's a good thing. I didn't mean to like sound mean about it. <laughs> it's a gorgeous room. It actually really is. It's been refurbished. It's not like... Yes, but... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I meant that as a good thing. That was a compliment. So um, I have a bit of a story behind this. Um, I grew up in a not great section of Queens. So... Um, we couldn't actually go to the local branch, so my mom would actually take me to the main branch of the Queen's Library, which is a huge facility. So this was like walking into some great palace of books. Um, It was really intimidating when you're like six years old and you get off and there's this this gigantic square and um, it's just full of books, the whole place. So we would spend like a day or two at a time. I mean, we'd go home in between, but um, just kind of wandering around and mm-hmm. just looking at this because I would grab something that, that piqued my interest and flip through it and put it back on the shelf. So it was uh, a weird sort of thing to have your first memory of a library, I suppose. <laughs> um. Okay, so for question number three, 
Um, and we kind of covered this before, but it's part of our questions. When did you decide to work in a library? If not, what was your first career path? Because a lot of librarians and staff choose this profession as a second career. Well, this so clearly is you weren't a veterinarian. Clearly. Um, this is actually my first career. She's one of the not. 1%. She is. <laughs> She's a one percenter. Yep. Um, I first decided to work in a library probably early college. It, there was no really aha moment for me. Sorry to say. Yeah, I kind of fell into it, too. Um, the company I was working for just ended up consulting for public libraries, and um, that's where I spent the lion's share of my time. Again, pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> so who's your favorite fictional librarian? So I'm not going to lie. The first time I might have seen the script, um, <laughs> the first thing that popped into my head was um, the movie The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Uh, Rachel Wise's character was apparently a librarian, and now I remember the scenes when she was in the library. But yeah, I'll just say that one because that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> Doug? Uh, Zoe Harriet from Doctor Who? That's a new one. We haven't gotten that one yet. The second Doctor's companion for a while. Wow. And towards the end of his run. Yeah. But you've got the mummy one? Yes, we've gotten the mummy before. <laughs> it's a good pick. So that must be a popular choice. Um, the Jedi in um, in one of the Star Wars. It was mm -hmm. a, a librarian Jedi. That's a big one. Episode two, I think. Episode right? two, right. Um, up until recently, nobody had mentioned Batgirl, but Batgirl has kind of Oracle. shot to the top. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter comes in a lot. Um I can't think of some of the others, but there's a, there's a few. There's more than you think. There was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There was a librarian. Giles, yep. So, you know, there's a lot of them out there. But they're never the main character. And if anybody mentions Noah Wiley, they get smacked. Because that doesn't count. I don't actually know these by heart. I did some research before we went on. Nice. <laughs> so what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? I'd be a lion tamer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Big hat. Chair Neon whip. letters, yeah, lights up and says Lion Tamer right across the front. Um, honest answer, I'd probably try my hand at opening a comic store. I don't know I'd do very well at it, but that's probably what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never really gave too much serious thought to it, but maybe something like nursing. But no matter what, I'd still be reading, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite section of the library? Now, originally we meant this fiction, nonfiction, history, you know, 900s, 600s. But with the, the content that we talk about with technology, it could be, you know, the server room. It could be the maker space. It could be the quiet study room. It could be any section of the library. I actually have a pretty typical answer. My favorite section is the new book section, that wall if you remember, right by the circulation desk, mm -hmm. all the brand new fiction books. I like to browse and see what the most popular ones are if they're in. It's Grab a great em. display. It really is. <laughs> um, that's a tough question. Um, we've done some remodeling over the years, so it's gotten, at every step, Gretchen's found a new way to kind of um, improve the aesthetic that we have. Um, I would say... At least for right now, my favorite section is actually the media area. Um, it's hard for me to describe, at least, but there's kind of a semicircle 
of two-sided shelves that has uh, different movies and video games and whatnot there, and a large um, shelf section that's um, smack against the wall in there, and it kind of dovetails into the uh, the audiobooks and the playaways and whatnot. And there's just something about that that layout with that curved area and those little like ottoman style seats inside there that's just nice. It's very, it's very inviting. inviting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I felt that way too. It was yeah. really kind of like, wow, come come sit here and relax. Exactly. Yeah. Feel free. Browse through our collection. Take you know, take something if you want it. It's free. It's free. <laughs> it's free. Everything's free. As long as you pay your fines. It's okay. <laughs> so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Uh, Stark Industries Arc Reactor, so we don't have to pay an electric bill. <laughs> That's step one. Um, kidding aside, um, I would... Um, I would love to put in some sort of um, maker lab. You have ins- inspired me greatly, actually. Um, <laughs> Spreading the virus. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think something like that would be really great. I mean, we have um, not just students around here, but there's a hospital a stone's throw from us to the west. And that's something that if we had some machines that we could dedicate for that, I know there are medical uses for... Um, even just for examination purposes, for 3D printed objects. And that's the sort of thing that I think would be a really a really interesting partnership. And it goes hand in hand with trying to help people in the community and around there. That's pretty neat. How are you going to top that, Megan? <laughs> well, if we had unlimited budget, um, I would actually like a second floor on the library. Oh, so yes. I, I can't ever see that happening, but I think that would be pretty cool. What would you put up there? Well, we'd have a lot more Your room department, f- right? Well, I don't know about our department, but we'd have a lot more room for books and probably more study rooms since they're so popular in our library. It would be a positive godsend for anybody that really wants to use those. I mean, our study rooms are booked almost constantly of late. Is yours first come, first serve, or do you book them ahead of time? We actually allow people to have two concurrent reservations for up to two hours per session, but we have that managed through dibs. Um, love Demco's products. Mm-hmm. So there are some little things we want to hammer out with that because um, certain individuals have found that they can... Uh, Play the system? Yeah, a mm. little bit. A little bit. It only checks on certain criteria that's not necessarily um, unique. It's not actually There's talking. always one person, right? <laughs> you know, if it was authenticating the barcode directly with Sierra, and I'm not sure that it is, I have a feeling it's not, but if it did that it would be a lot easier to keep track of as far as making sure that people are sticking to that limit. But you can put in a different email address and they do their thing. Uh, so, I see. Yeah, it's one of those things. We've, we put in trouble tickets, so we're hoping they're going to fix that and make it a little bit easier to, to make sure everybody gets their shot at those rooms because they're so heavily used. Okay, so the next question. What do you love about your library? It's a tough question. Um, not for lack of answers, um, to narrow it down to one. Um, You look like you have an answer. I think that one of the best parts about our library is the hours, especially on Sundays. We are extremely utilized by not just POB, but really anyone in the area. They like to come in. We're open one to nine. I think one of the only, if the only. Yeah, on Sundays. Yeah, on Sundays. Wow. Yeah. So. That's a great one. I think that, um, I mean, the services we provide for the patrons, we 
we really do try to meet the needs of the community. I mean, everybody's doing that. That's not a unique thing. But um, it's one of those things I think all of us find to be um, kind of core purpose for mm-hmm. what we're doing. I'd say that's probably where I'd end up with that. I could go on for like half an hour at that point. I'm not going <laughs> to subject anyone else to that. Okay. This is one of my favorite questions. What is the weirdest thing, not necessarily the worst thing, but the weirdest thing that's ever happened here at the library that you've been, that you've seen? Megan looks like she has an answer. <laughs> well, yeah, I had to think about it. I had to think about something that was okay to say. Um, it, it, it was weird, but in like a good way. I remember years ago when I was still a page, I think it was late one, maybe Monday or Tuesday afternoon, and we hear this commotion, patrons start getting all excited about something. I turn around, there's these two huge dogs, like just kind of like galloping or jumping, like happy, not in any ferocious Golden or Golden Lab, way. not Pitbull. Yeah, it, one yeah. was, I think, some kind of lab mix, and I don't know what the other one was, but they were big. And they were obviously someone's dogs from the, the neighborhood that got loose. And they just ran in the building. Yeah, they just ran <laughs> in the building. They were, like, by the circulation desk. And, like, some of the patrons really, like, they loved seeing the dogs, but some, you could tell, obviously were scared or whatever. But I just actually really enjoyed that. <laughs> I liked seeing the dogs come in. That's pretty cool. <laughs> we um, we had a patron come in uh, a while ago, and he says to me, "Look, um, I need you to help me digitize this this word document." And I kind of looked at him like, "Well, let's it's digitized by default because it's a it's a word it's document, a word document, right? Yeah." He yeah. says, "Well, I I need to put it on this," and he holds up a DVD, and I said, "Oh, no problem. I'll show you how to do this. You got your laptop." So he burned it. And in the middle of burning it, he says, "Well." I have to hide this in something and send it to one of my friends in Iran because if they catch him and he draws a line across his neck and I'm like, oh. so, so what you're telling me is that I'm subverting a tyrannical government right now. Excellent. <laughs> we can do this. I can put this on the business card. It's fine. So yeah, I, I showed him how to burn DVDs. That's, I don't know how true that was from what he was telling me, but I'm going with it. Wow. Yeah. I think that, that may be the weirdest thing to happen <laughs> so far. <laughs> I attract that stuff. You go from the dogs to that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. I was too, actually. I'm looking at this. There was a good, like, 30-second pause where I'm just staring at it. I'm going, Really? Was it written in English? Or was it written nope. in Farsi? It was all written in Farsi. Hmm. So apparently, and the Department of Homeland Security didn't stop by. <laughs> nobody, nobody contacted us. I guess he was sending it to someone who's like a pro-democracy protester. Wow! And he was like hiding it in material and sending it out. It was pretty amazing. Wow, I'm speechless on that one. Yeah, I was too. I'm. St- well, let's see if it dovetails dovetails <laughs> into the next question. <laughs> Who's your favorite regular patron? That guy. <laughs> Actually, no, seriously, mine is that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to describe him because yeah. I don't want to risk Oh, so you both know of this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah, I told everybody about that the minute I was done with that. And he's a regular at one of our uh, weekly programs, but he always he's the nicest guy, always has a smile mm-hmm. on his face, and he's always so polite. And he's just... Nice. And undercover. 
I am so totally speechless right now. That is amazing. I wish he was here, I'd introduce you. <laughs> and you too would be sworn to secrecy. <laughs> as long as he's not passing me a DVD. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, so last question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Free stuff. <laughs> Straight and to the point. I like it. That tops anything I was going to say, actually. Free stuff. Yeah, there. I mean, you can you can wax poetic about, um, you know, a, a universe of information and all the programs and everything else, but free stuff is going to be at the top of the list for the ninety nine percent plus of the population. Free stuff is good. <laughs> come wow! See, come see a movie. Come see. <laughs> Holy cow, this was a lot of fun. You guys are too much fun. (laughs) So thank you for being such great sports and answering answering our silly questions. Um, This this has been awesome. This has really been a lot of fun. I'm glad. So, uh, you want to give out any plugs? Anything that you, like the website or? Um, Yeah, our website is www.poblib.org. Um, no, we're not going to make you spell out the whole name of the library because that would be crazy. Um, <laughs> hyphen, no hyphen, don't worry about it. Just poblib.org. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, we will get some of that information together in case anybody wants to see some of the equipment or the copyright notice that Megan put together. Sure. Um, we'll put pictures we'll, of the library up too. You know, absolutely. You can give me all kinds of stuff. I'll put anything up there. Cool. Yeah, it'd be good. Anything else? That's it. That's it? Well, that was pretty easy. <laughs> we, are, we are simple folk. <laughs> <laughs> and with that... <laughs> oh, that's too much. So, that's the wrong music. We're not going to play that music. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it, right? That's better. Cool. So, that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments... On our show, please go to the contact us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com. We will also include links and photos from this and all of our episodes on the site. And you can also check us out on Twitter at, at @thelibrarypros or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And please don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Google Play, or Sketcher, which you can leave comments on how great this episode was, because this was a good one. No tinfoil hats allowed. <laughs> no mayonnaise. No mayonnaise. Uh, We also have that Android service from our website and our email service. So check that out, too. And as always, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if Bob were here and not kidnapped by his electrician. I think he's probably being strangled right now by a Cat 6 line. (laughs) You know, every every library needs a ghost. Exactly. Someone has to volunteer. Exactly. (laughs) So remember that the... the, the, um, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob if Bob were here and not those of the Sachem Public Library. Wow, I ran out of music. <laughs> <laughs> the MS Clark Memorial Library where Bob is trapped or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions.